This is exactly right. So what we're acting on is anxiety. The more that we can compassionately kind of look within and get in touch with it and not judge it, and then we can harness it, redirect it, and use it in constructive ways to really be what we want to be, what we all say that we want to be. Welcome to Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan. I'm Dr. Dan. This show is about making the world a more loving, accepting, and compassionate place, one parent, one person, and one child at a time. The key to raising healthy and engaged kids is for us parents to seek the same in our own lives while striving to be the best versions of ourselves each day. No matter who you are or where you came from, With increased awareness, you can be purposeful about leaving a healthy footprint for your children, your family, and all those you care about while living your own life to the fullest. Today's show is When Worry Works with Dr. Dana Dorfman. Dr. Dana is a New York City-based psychotherapist with 30 years experience treating adolescents and parents in her private practice, schools, and agency settings. As a passionate advocate of adolescent mental health, she is a lecturer and consultant for parenting centers, schools, and corporations. Dr. Dana is regularly interviewed and quoted in the media on mental health topics and was the co-host of a parenting podcast, Two Moms on the Couch. She is the author of her new book, her first book, this awesome book that we're going to be talking about today, When Worry Works, How to Harness Your Parenting Stress and Guide Your Teen to Success. She lives in New York City with her husband, her teenage daughter and son, and their beloved dog, Winnicott. Dana, Dr. Dana, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's such a pleasure to be here. So first off, congratulations. Thank um, you. A huge birthing process and so much more to... to um, to write a book and to particularly write a book of such um, personal and professional clinical significance when one is in it themselves. Uh-huh. Thank you. Yes, it, it, it has been my third baby, undoubtedly. Yeah. Um, did it, how long had it been percolating? You know, like this idea of, I have to put all this together, all this, these decades of work, my decades of parenting. Did it, you know, did it just, was it something that just kept building steam and, or, or was it like, boom, it just one day, it just had to be done. Um, I would like to say I just whipped it up like that, but actually it has been percolating for a long time. Sorry. I, um, I, I have been working on the book itself for eight years, and I can say with absolute certainty because I started it when my daughter started high school. So, and she is now a senior in college. Nice. It has eight years. Yes, um, and probably many more years in the making psychologically before Mm -hmm. that. Where was the? pressure points in writing? I mean, as a, as a clinician, fellow clinician who has also written, 
I just know from my own experience, there were times that things would just flow. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and p- particularly when there's some overlap of personal experience with your own kids. And then there are other times that it's just things, it's just, there's stuckness for a variety of different reasons. Is mm-hmm. there, what was your process like? That's such a good question. I, I, my process was actually, I love to write and um, have enjoyed very much kind of being able to express myself through writing and the process of writing has been extraordinarily gratifying for me, um, much more than I had ever thought that it would be. I think the hardest part for me, and it may even be exemplified in our conversation today, is that I get so wrapped up in minutia. I find everything so (laughs) interesting and I will do a deep dive into some random detail and then have an editor read it or, um, you know, somebody who has been helping me. And they're just like, nobody cares, Dana, about this. Like, what are you, or this is not keep one editor had said to me, every paragraph that you write, I want you to remind yourself, what is the point of this book? Because I would yeah. just go off road and get really into some other area yeah. of intrigue. So that right. has been the hardest That's part. Really interesting. And as you were talking, I had um, an editor in my head um, from my first solo book, and he said the exact same thing to me because I think we have some similarities in how we process things and how we think about things. Um, and I remember him saying, I poured like my soul into one introduction of the book of like my whole experience, blah, blah, blah. And he said, Dan, no one cares. They just want to <laughs> get to the content. And I remember thinking, oh, wow. But it kind of made sense. But I, so I'm with you. I could totally yes. relate. Um, do you lean a little bit more on that perfectionistic side of life, would you say? I definitely, yes, I definitely do. And um, another area of intrigue for me. Um, yeah, I definitely do. And I get, um, I think that this is a real a, a way of thinking that is is very um, so granular that I can I can absolutely lose sight of the forest through the trees and focus on every leaf and every blade of grass and describe it with such specificity. I, I and I will oftentimes even when I'm watching a movie or something, and then afterward, if somebody ever asks me what the main idea of something is, that's like my worst nightmare. But I can mm-hmm. tell you how they blink or what someone was wearing or, you know, I seem to, yes. um, I get really wrapped up in and very fixated on seemingly irrelevant details, but I guess it's a gift and a curse in some ways. I, I can totally relate to that. And, you know, it makes, it makes me think of that saying, um, it's something like it's easy to write a long letter, it's short to, it's hard to write a short letter. Right. It's hard to huh. really distill as the essence of what one is trying to describe when there is so much to talk about. Yes. And, and to pull from. Yes. Uh, I respect that. I so the other thing I the initial question for you was um when worry works. So a, as a, a fellow practitioner who has spent um a career helping people with worry and anxiety, and someone who has uh is a 
professional in his personal life with those same those same things. Uh-huh. I was I was like, this is an intriguing title when worry works. So I was wondering, w- were there other alternative titles like in your mind that you were thinking of leading with, or is this the one that you're like, this is my spin on this? Oh no, this was this was about the billionth iteration and yeah. consultation. It was originally yeah. called the Parenting Paradox. Mm. Uh, that and that was kind of its its name for quite a, a while, and it was not until you know the publisher picked it up. But every everybody in the industry who looked at it <laughs> said, with the parenting paradox, like you're gonna have to change the title. Mm. And I was really invested in that title. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but this one, Worry Works, did emerge as I was writing. Um within the past year or well yeah or two years it just kind of it came to you know in one of those like creativity blasts yes yeah i do the parenting paradox that having read your wonderful book i completely understand because we're going to be talking about the paradox right this paradox of how do we raise our kids to be happy successful engaged in life and at the same time, manage our own anxiety about our fears about them not being able to do so if we don't do all the right things to set mm-hmm. them up, which creates this crazy thing with achievement that we're all, many of us are wrestling with when it's how do we raise a healthy kid and a successful kid, however we do define success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that the two are, I was thinking about it just this morning. It is kind of a commingling of the two, if I even want to call them two separate um, agenda items. And I think I think about it a lot in terms of a lot of times at school, the other parents will talk about um, like rigor versus nurturance or something. That the, yeah. as if yep. those two would not be intermingled as if you either choose one or the other, like when nurturance actually allows one, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. to be able to an emotionally supportive environment would actually allow for the rigor to take place. Like it seems like they are so um, intertwined that they could, that if they are separated, it becomes, uh, it, it can't be separated, I think. Right. Like one, I think the thinking is with too much of one, you lose the other. And so that's also my experience um, with many schools and parents looking for that right fit for their for their kid is you have these schools that have all of this academic rigor, mm-hmm. but it lacks this nurturing or what people often call like this whole child approach. And then you have schools that are really committed to the nurturing whole child approach. But it really, for many of these students, um, lacks the intellectual and academic rigor that the family is looking for for this child. And and to your point, they're not, they don't need to be mutually exclusive. Yes, I feel so. It's a, it reminds me of like toxic work environments, work cultures or corporate cultures or any work environment that kind of um, perpetuates this, like uh, there was even sort of something recently in the news about, you know, certain 
companies mm-hmm. yes. that were promoting a certain kind of uh, as if like they're not human beings that it that it wouldn't be a requisite component of the environment like that um, the interplay of sort of the individual in their environment and kind of the messages and energy and culture of the place would not strongly influence what goes on internally it just right. it it, uh, it, it uh, if i could think of a creative clever accessible way to to explain that i would write another book <laughs> to to be forthcoming to be forthcoming um and a quick aside, listeners, you are every once in a while going to hear some sirens because Dr. Dana is in New York City and stuff, life happens in New York City. You're going to hear it on, on my street too. But so we're going to try to work with it. But if we can't, we can't. Yes. We're all about imperfection and real life um, because that actually is the grittiness, messiness of parenting in the modern day and particularly growing up in the modern day for our teenagers. I mean, what a time. And I, you know, I, every, it seems like generation, people say is more complex and then others look back. There's this debate, right? Others look back and say, you know, it was complex in that generation too. It's just different. I don't think so. And you do a really good job of pointing out the difference between how we grew up and what some of those stressors were, you know, sort of the, sex, drugs, and rock and roll sort of things and the multitude of stressors and life events that they don't stop coming for our kids. It just keeps coming and coming Mm -hmm. and coming. And that does make a difference on their experience and then on our parenting experience and worries and fears. Absolutely. And I think that also it's, it's, keeps coming and coming and it penetrates and like reverberates throughout every part of the, of the individual's psyche. It's sort of Mm -hmm. like they can't be, one of these things can't be isolated or extracted, you know, that everything, there is such, once again, like interplay between all of these, all of the stressors that, that, kids that we are contending with and the pace of it. I think that like Mm -hmm. this accelerated pace, technology is a wonderful thing. Thank God we have it because you and I can connect. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, it is, we cannot, our brains are not equipped to keep up with it. And a developing brain of a teenager is really not equipped to, to keep up with the, with the sort of inundation of, of stimuli, stimulus, mm-hmm. yeah, it's true that, and I think that's a really good point. It's not just the content of the stressor or the stimuli; it's the pace at which it's delivered, which is nonstop these days, and nonstop, and on a click of the phone or just look at a video on any of the platforms. It just, yeah, it just keeps coming. And with all this, we learn more and more about. Um, what other people are doing, what application, college application uh, or acceptance rates are, what scores are, what who's on the gold team, who makes the the first team of this, whose friends are playing with these friends and getting to go away for the summer together and who's left out. And all of that plays on us parents as we are watching our kids 
perhaps going on in emotional roller coasters or behavioral roller coasters, but also us not knowing what's going on in their world and in their life because we don't have the access that we did when they were in elementary school and they weren't on social media. And we knew all the parents, you know. So it's this it's this pressure cooker. And then you point out specifically about the pressure cooker and anxiety and worry about achievement. So mm -hmm. say a little bit about this achievement pressure. The achievement pressure, I think part of what makes it so complex is that it is socially sanctioned, you know, that we are a culture of productivity. We are... Um, we revere achievement, and um, and so it's a hard balance to strike because it's something that we value. I mean, I act like a big shot writing this book. In the meantime, I had to write a book. I had to get a PhD. I had to get a master's degree. And so trying to, once again, I know that these are not mutually exclusive, or I'm trying very hard to mm -hmm. convey that, but there is... Um, it is admired, it's celebrated, it's valued by our culture. So then it becomes much more difficult than to uh, devalue it or to take our eye off of that ball. Yes, and it is the paradox and the trap. It really is a trap. I mean, I'm going to do some of the give some of the two by four uh, research that you cite. Um, to make this point of why we need to be thinking about this. So Columbia University researchers found that kids whose parents overemphasize their achievements are more likely to have high levels of depression, anxiety, and substance abuse compared to other kids. Um, James Heckman's research on 35 years of data that character makes more difference for economic and social success than IQ. And one more, because this is going to set us up, one more that the research shows that the greatest indicators of future success are emotional intelligence, empathy, problem solving, self-regulation, stress management, and communication. Nowhere in there is it high IQ, a 4.5 GPA, mm -hmm. and graduating from the elite schools mm -hmm. in our country. Nowhere. Mm -hmm. And this, is, this has been going on for probably the last, I don't know, I want to say... Challenge success out here in Stanford has really done some right, some amazing oh, it's work. Fabulous. So within the last two decades, this is starting to eke out, and it's more and more hopefully becoming with the work like yours, like mainstream, like people. This is a conundrum, and we have to have empathy for ourselves as parents trying to raise these quote successful people. But it's at a cost if we're focusing on achievement and parenting through fear. Yes. Yes. I actually had been thinking um, just this morning, um, my daughter just came home from college and um, and she had gone to a, a very, I guess, sought after school and she was raised in, um, in we raised her in the city and in New York City. And she had attended this, this uh, what they were calling a gifted and talented school from kindergarten through high school and maybe around eighth grade or so, this could have even been one of the unconscious impetuses, impetuses to, um, to writing the book also. But she, I was very deliberate in not um, kind of logging on to the parenting, to the, the 
the grading. The portal. The, the portal. portal. Thing. Thank you. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just didn't, I was really wanted, I was very, very intent. I screwed up in many ways, but this was something that I was so invested in a, a lot because of my own history, which I ended up not including in the book, but sometimes wonder if I should have. But um, anyway, and so my daughter was complaining around eighth grade about like being upset about a grade and I, and not having an, and her GPA or something. And I must have conveyed in whatever ways I, I do that it, it was, anyway, she said something to the effect of like, all you care is if I'm a good person. All you care about is if I'm a good person. And I was like, yes. yes. And then I yes. thought, then I, <laughs> I, I felt great. And I thought, good, you tell your therapist that one when you're going and complaining about me. And then Though I realized that this too, I mean, talk about that dichotomy is that like, then she felt very misunderstood. You know, she was in a culture, I, I, we sent her to this school and then she was in a culture that was perpetuating these messages and then getting like an, an antithetical or somewhat a, a de-emphasis, a different yes. message at home. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. At school, it's, you know, about you really need to have this rigor and you need to perform really well. And if you want to get into these schools, like this is how you do it and at home. It's like, you know what? All we care about is that you're a good person, right? Like we just want you to be that was a really such good. A win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that. Right. Um, you know, we're all about self-awareness on this show. So I'm going to lob this out to you you are aware because you also write about this without writing about it. You allude to how important it is, you know, for us to be, and you have a parenting style we'll talk about, of, about when you are doing something different or the same as your own parents. Mm -hmm. And it's really about awareness. So you, you, you alluded to your own experience here. You were aware of your own experience and wanting to do something different based on that experience when you were, giving these messages to your daughter. Yes. Oh, well, like, uh, in spades that I, yeah. was, I was, um, I grew up in a high achieving family and, um, and with parents, especially my mom, who was really invested in, uh, scores and grades and high and, uh, Ivy league education. And I, probably had significant learning issues and definitely attentional issues. And as I progressed in my own, um, I don't know if this is what you you want, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Oh, okay. This is, this is great. Okay. Cause then I'm thinking like, am I going off on my own shtick here? But, um, and so essentially I sort of like hung up my skates around, uh, probably as school became more difficult, maybe fifth or sixth grade. And I just couldn't seem to, I had been like a very good student. And then all of a sudden just couldn't keep up, was deeply ashamed, embarrassed, and feared some kind of withdrawal of love, which was not just imaginary. I don't think as much as mm -hmm. I loved my parents. And, um, yeah. and I was pretty much like intellectually paralyzed for, for mm -hmm. decades, I I almost didn't graduate from high school. I was um, my mom got a call, which she was less than thrilled about. Um, 
you know, that I was, that I hadn't handed anything in that I, mm-hmm. um, and that they basically were not going to allow me to, um, to graduate. And they were, that went over really well. Yeah, so, I, I'm um, sure. Yes. Anyway, but my, my point is that like, I really, I have done so much work and so much certainly reflection therapy and also, um, reading about, about how, how we shut down intellectually and how like a, a deeply curious, insightful, like contemplative, I was also neurotic and, you know, annoying too, I'm sure, but like, how a really curious kid could pretty much like disconnect from her, her, her functioning. I'm saying her mm-hmm. to me. And, yeah, and right. so that has been like, and then the more that I learned obviously and in graduate school and, and um, my own work, I realized like, ah, oh, this is what was going on. This is, it's not just that I was stupid, like, but I was <laughs> right, really right. convinced that I basically was just kind of like a little feeble in the, in the cognitive department. This is so on point for our parenting challenge because here we have a highly, you know, you have a, a highly insightful person, you, uh, someone who's done a lot of work on themselves with uh, professional uh, consultants to gain this awareness, to realize, okay, this didn't work for me. This is what happened to me. Now you're also a professional therapist and uh, parent and teen expert. And what you are saying is we, you know, what we really value in this family is that you being a good human being, Mm -hmm. which on paper, I'm with you. Like I say the same things. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet the complexity of raising these humans is your daughter still didn't feel totally understood. Right. (laughs) Right? You're like, oh, they're like, okay, what am I supposed to do? Be my mom and say, fine, go and get a 4.5. Are you happy? You know, like, (laughs) how, how do you, so how do you walk? How do you walk? How do you walk, and how do you recommend we walk that line? It is. I would say I walk it very clumsily, and um, and really, um, I think that one of I talk about this a lot in the book, and I think that it's one of these oversimplified phrases of identifying your values, what is most important to you. And then using that as the North Star, whenever there is any kind of parenting dilemma, um, I think that that's incredibly helpful. And I also think that the more that we can understand our own relationship with achievement, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. what our history was, and also currently, I think there are many parents who are dissatisfied with, um, with with their um, achievements and, and so then live vicariously through their kids. That's an oversimplification Mm -hmm. and, and, or, uh, parents who, who have, uh, who are deemed successful by society. And then they want their kids to either surpass them or at least reach the same level of success that, that from a social mobility standpoint, from a, every generation wants to improve upon itself. If your parents have, 
uh, you know, your mother is a doctor, my husband's an attorney. It, it, it's, uh, it, the messaging can get a little wonky, I think. Yeah. 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 I, I did, uh, I had a interview with, um, an Israeli parenting expert, um, Inat Natan. Yes. Beautiful. You, that was, a beautiful, it, a be- it was such a beautiful, I was like weeping by the end of that interview. Oh, you heard that. Okay. I was oh, too. Yes. And, and what, and like, she was such a inspiration for me because in, in preparing for this with you and reading your book, I remember when she, she, you know, she has several kids and different neurodivergent profiles. And the one child who is creative with multiple learning issues was failing out of maybe like potentially failing out of high school. And she said, I decided that we were going to focus on our relationship and who he was and whether he read well or did this well, you know what, that would work itself out. And I'm thinking my draw, I was like, wow, that takes so much courage and hope and faith. And what you're talking about that value, right? Like she was clearly parenting through her values. Yes. And wow, as I try to say, it's like, it's so oh, hard to think about that. It is that. so hard. And it can sound, as you say, great on paper or, or just like it sounds very eloquent. And I think a lot of times when I am talking about the book or sharing some of my perspectives, I think that people think like, isn't that nice? And isn't that idealistic? And isn't that unrealistic? You know, like, mm-hmm. and um, actually that interview I was going to say this to you before we started, and this is how I go off road, but um, there was a word she was trying to describe a depth of pride. And Mm. do you remember that part of the interview? Um, Uh, Vaguely. Vaguely. You had said to her, is there, is there a Hebrew word for it? And I was like, Kfell, Kfell, that there's a Kfelling. Yeah. The Yiddish word. That that was the word I thought, oh my God, too bad. I wasn't, it wasn't a three-way call. I could have inserted my grandmother right there. Yes. Kfelling. Right. So yes. you can get back to her on that too, but I was gonna, yes. I was gonna yeah. write it in. <laughs> any, <laughs> any opportunity to insert Yiddish into something, I feel like is Absolutely. my grandmother is like with me. Yeah, she's on, mine is on my shoulder as well. Mm. Her picture's right behind me there. Um, um, I so I, I love your parenting styles that you talk about, um, and this is for everyone out there. Like it's the book is 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 it's conversational it's very it it as if dr dana is talking to you and of course as you can hear how she's talking to us she's very real and authentic and is not up in the ivory tower she's 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 with you as a parent and as you point out in these parenting styles we can see ourselves in many of them. It's just like all the diagnoses in our DSM. You know, when we go like, oh my God, I'm a little like this. I'm a little like this. Like <laughs> These are all human characteristics, everyone. So don't freak out. They're human characteristics. So, so Dr. Dana has what's called PARTS, Parent Anxiety Reaction Types. And I'm going to read them just to set the stage and then we could just jump off from there. Mm-hmm. But I love them. I love these, these the symbols. So there are the sculptors, There are the game show contestants, the crowd pleasers, the avoiders, the clairvoyants, the shepherds, the correctors, and the replicators. And you lay them out so beautifully into who they are. You give examples. You give all the different triggers that each of these types have. And then through your clinical vignettes, you talk how people work their way through 
to be able to be aware of this style and engage with themselves and with their teen and young adults in a different way once they're able to understand these aspects of themselves. Yes, and actually, we just um, created a quiz as well so that parents can take it to even get an idea of kind of where they where they land in their parenting style. Um, yeah. And I think that it was all, uh, the, my, the derivation of it was really based on, um, in an attempt to get parents to reflect maybe in a more playful way and in a more compassionate way, that this is mm-hmm. not because you're a jerk or not because you're a, you know, a hard ass or something that you're, behaving in these ways, but you are trying to protect yourself and your child. And so Mm -hmm. it's, um, and so a lot of times the way that we rationalize what it is that we're doing um, is, speaking of my grandmother, you know, she would, I think that like worry was her love language. You know, she just (laughs) like, that was a way you conveyed love. And that's really, um, and so in our attempts. So what we're acting on is anxiety. The more that we can compassionately kind of look within and get in touch with it and not judge it, and then we can harness it, redirect it, and use it in constructive ways to really be what we want to be, what we all say that we want to be. Yes. And it it never ends. It doesn't matter how old our kids get. I feel there are always tests which trigger or how much work we've done on these aspects of ourselves. I just feel like there's always a curveball and then it, there's a trigger and then there's this activation. And then hopefully over time, we learn to do a little work with ourselves, talk to a spouse, family member, friend, and kind of work it through so we understand what's going on for us before we just directly give our child that reactive, that anxious reactive feedback, which usually doesn't go so well. No, definitely not. And it's so well intended. And yeah. um, and we're so, and any of us can get so spun up in our own heads and our own good intentions that we really lose sight of, well, we absolutely lose sight of the kid and right. we lose sight of kind of like where is this coming from? Um, it it's uh, it's it, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, of course, I I find it yeah. absolutely fascinating, and the curveballs never cease to amaze me too. No. I mean, it's like a mantra in my house. Uh, like, aren't you writing a book about this? Or like, oh, yeah, didn't you write a book about this? And didn't totally. you just give a talk about this? And, yeah. I, uh, I always, I had, I've had this misconception, which I think I still want to believe, which is, you know what, I've had enough parenting of these, like these experiences through life with our kids and, oh yeah, okay. I've got this covered. I got this covered. I've got this covered. Okay. I've been, I've been doing this work for a long time now. I've seen and heard I'm good. It's like, nope, there's always a new one around the corner. Mm -hmm. There just really is. And I guess now that we can sit here and talk among uh, as parents and professionals, it's so much easier to talk about it versus be in it. Oh, forever, right? Oh, I, I act like such a big shot in my office. I mean, I try to yeah. be, I try to be real. <laughs> yeah. That sounds like yeah. an oxymoron. But I, 
And also, it's usually some iteration of the same theme anyway. Even the curveball, our response never falters that far from the original shtick. You're so true. Oh, by the way, good another Yiddish word. Shtick. Oh, thank you, thank you. Got, you. You got that yeah. in there. Yeah. yeah. No, but you're 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 right. You're right. It, it comes the challenge and trigger comes in a completely different form at age 20, 18, 17, 10, 5 or two. But it's the same thing that gets activated in us. The okay. same. Usually, it's the same thing. The same response, the same physiological response, you mean? Or the- well, I was going to say the same um, worry or anxiety, whether <laughs> it's like a, a, we want to be a pleaser or we want to fit in or we're worried about our child wanting to fit in or we're worried about how other people are going to think about mm-hmm. us. Whatever it is, it's usually the same core activator, would you say? Um, it just look the the stimuli that triggers it yes. is different when the kids are different ages doing different things yes but but the but the theme of the trigger remains the same yes. I, yes. I i i try a lot of times to distill down which as i said is not my specialty like even for for patients with as we're working and even for myself too like these are the, these are your core triggers. This is your sh- your shtick, yeah. and um, and no matter no matter where you go, there you are. No matter where yeah. it, it it just like the same theme emerges. Like even if it looks very different in de- externally, you see that uh, there it is, like the same yes. thing. Yes. So as you write, we want to be become more aware of our triggers, our our anxious parenting reaction. And then it's of course like, okay, well, well, now what? And the now what is you write about parenting through your values, through authenticity, through you understanding who your authentic self is, which one must do first. Yes. And then figure out what your values are so you can parent in a way that's aligned. Yes. And much easier said than done. So it's a matter of like getting in touch with your, what your themes are, what your anxiety themes are, what are sort of the consistent triggers for you or the narratives that you default to. Um, And also what do you want to be your North Star? Like, what is it that you are, that in the depths of your soul, I would say Kishka's, but I'm, <laughs> I don't want to, um, is really what is guiding you. What is it that is most important? Because it's so helpful every time. I mean, I use this, it sounds sort of formulaic, but it, I use it I, several times a week when we're, when my husband and I are trying to work something through. Even my husband was had a difficult work decision, and I was saying to him, like, this is what's – I tell him what's most important yeah. to him. But, like, yeah. you know, this is what's most important to you. So sort of keep that in the driver's seat. And how can you creatively solve this dilemma with this as the most prominent um, – factor. Mm-hmm. And, and that, so that takes awareness. It takes work. And I want to say it takes a ton of courage because 
when you choose something aligned with your values, a behavior, a philosophy, an action, or an inaction, you are having to deal with the, at times, anxiety and worry of not going towards these other things that society has primed us is important and is telling us, well, if your kid doesn't do that or you don't do that for your kid, your kid is going to be behind and is not going to be in a competitive situation for life. Yes. And so sort of for all of your idealism or self-righteousness, you've actually done a disservice to your kid. In your efforts to be protective, you've actually like... uh, laid them bare or you know you have right. um you've yeah you've you've made things worse yes going back to this beautiful example of you sharing uh what your daughter said to you like all you care about is i'm a good person when she's at this um school that really has seems like a spouse's achievement and intellectual rigor and you're you are espousing this because of what has happened, your own experience and wanting to have some corrections. Um, so aspects there of the corrector parenting oh, style, corrector right? Through right? and through. Yep. Um, how, like, in, how then did you pivot? How did you talk to your daughter in a way to sort of, you know, make a, is it make a, a recalibrate perhaps? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I think that, and I I can say retrospectively, I can make it sound much smoother than I'm sure Mm -hmm. I navigated it at the time. And I think it has been an ongoing discussion in our household um, that um, I did acknowledge in some way that there was some dissonance between like the culture in which she was immersed and what we were uh, kind of preaching at home. And I tried to perhaps clumsily, but to make the connection between that, what makes her feel good as a human being will help her be able to accomplish, produce function in a way that feels good to her, that those are not the only indicators that of, Mm. of not certainly not her worth, but also of her accomplishments, like that really what is, what is most satisfying about this does stem from a place of self-awareness and goodness. Um, so I try to, and, and I think that, and I'm sure, uh, with many errors along the way, but I try to practice what I preach, um, or we do, my husband and I, um, and kind of, once again, like put that in the driver's seat. I know that sounds mm-hmm. more abstract, but um, but we have had many conversations, and I think I did, I very much had to acknowledge, though, her not feeling heard, her feeling misunderstood, and this disconnect between the school mm-hmm. that we enrolled her in and her and what we were sort of saying at home. Yeah. And another um, another message in your book, and something we were talking about before 
recording is the how to embrace imperfection. And that is so, so important in my experience as a parent and as a um, consultant to parents is we mess up all the time. Like, and, and, and that's okay. And we can say when we've messed up or say when we did something we didn't intend or tell our child, okay, let me just tell you where I was coming from. I know it didn't land the way I wanted, but I wanted to share a little bit more about why I said that or why I did that or why I had this reaction. And then we are teaching them about growing up, about not being perfect, about learning, about changing. And, and that is really hard to do as a parent, but particularly for parents who have more perfectionistic tendencies, who are raised in particular ways where being wrong is, is like the worst thing that you can do, mm -hmm. that fear of failure. And so just to know this about oneself is it's, I always say it's like half the battle or more is just the self-awareness of yeah. who you are and how you tick. And being able to share that uh, maybe unapolog unapologetically or at least with some kind of um, humility that um, I think that there is such great value. Maybe this will be my third book. I'm, <laughs> I'm all talk. But yeah, yeah. It, it, I think there is ex extraordinary beauty in kids seeing how we navigate I mean, certainly this is an example of a time when we feel like we have failed them or something didn't land the way that we intended. And then we um, kind of go back and do some repair and explanation, even of this is what is most important. It is important to me, like I'm thinking of this instance with my daughter, that it is important to me that you feel heard and understood and that, and the fact that she did not in that instance, even in my repair is just, it, it offers another opportunity for me to revisit. Like, this is, this is what guides me a lot of the time. And this is almost like the, the precipitant to the precursor to my, my, uh, apology or my, mm -hmm. um, and mm -hmm. for them to see us stumble is incredibly, I mean, we talk so much about resilience and, um, and growth mindset and like, we're all works in progress. I sometimes want to get a t-shirt yes. that says still under construction. Like yes. it's that. Yeah. So I want them to see, like, I'm trying to figure this out too. I keep changing and evolving even from something that I did five years ago. I feel like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like I would do that so differently now. And my goal is always to be be supportive or present or yeah. whatever, and that's yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it, it's it's so there is such beauty and sort of fumbling in front of them. It's like yes, um, yes, yes. Oh, beauty in fumbling <laughs> in front of them. Okay, that's the image, guys. Uh -huh. Right? I love that. I love that. Okay. Dr. Dana, we need to do the parent footprint moment question to get your wisdom, even though you've been sharing it and I, we've already had several of them, but this is now the official one. Okay, here oh, we go. Uh, Tell us about a time that you became aware of yourself as an individual, as a parent, or even an awareness of your own parents. And that new awareness had a positive impact on your life, your kids, and or those you love. 
And of course, I'd like to share about 80 different thoughts yes. that I have. But um, the one that came to mind immediately when I when I listened to your podcast and was wondering, like, what would I say in such an instance? Um, I, I can vividly recall when I was um, my first job out of graduate school after getting my master's and um, after achieving, you know, one yes, thing, but right, still achieving right. more. Yeah. Um, and I was getting my doctorate and I was working at a child guidance center in Connecticut and living in in Manhattan. So and it was in like the early to mid 90s. And um, and on the train, I would I was reading a lot. And I can remember when Dan Goldman's book, um, Emotional Intelligence, first came out. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I was going to like run to the conductor and be like, wait a second, we all, this is, this is, there are a ton, there are many different kinds of intelligences. And I remember thinking at that time on the train, I'm going to make this, this needs to be woven into the fabric of our culture, of our world, mm-hmm. how significant emotions are. And, um, and that there is like this expansive, there is not just a, a, one definition of success, one definition of intelligence, one, that that emotions are. And, and of course, it was so validating to me because yep. I think I probably have a higher EQ than I do IQ. So I was like, ah, yes, I yes. am smart. You know, that's <laughs> really what I was. That's my default yeah. narrative yep. all the time. And um, and I just, I just felt like a whole world had opened up to me mm. and of course have followed his work, you know, mm-hmm. since, but, um, yeah. and it has become yeah. a little bit more part of the, the cultural narrative now, but at the time I was like, uh, like yeah. mind blowing. Yes. And I could completely see that coming from such an achievement oriented background that there is this whole other thing that really matters and not only really matters, it, it matters more than those other messages about grades and achievement and awards. And yeah, how freeing, how freeing to see, like, it's almost like this a whole other dimension opened up for you that you weren't aware mattered. Was there or even mattered? Yes, I knew it was there. Like, a, the the narrative was like, oh, Dana, like, she's funny. She's, everyone likes her. Like, that was yeah. sort of my calling card. But but smart, you know, not yeah. exactly. So I was like, oh, my God, this qualifies. Yeah. You know, this yes. is so um, yeah. I was uh, and, uh, I was thrilled, still am thrilled. <laughs> yes. So now we could say, Dr. Dana, you are so smart. And you're like, <laughs> oh yes, I have a very high emotional IQ. You know, and I, but I, first of all, I completely relate for, I think we have very similar profiles actually. So I totally relate to what you're saying. And the idea of, um, for a whole nother show, um, well, I'll just say, because some of the listeners know that I had an undiagnosed learning issue, dyslexia, and it wasn't until I actually found out more about myself when I was well into my career that I felt smart for the first time when I saw things through a different lens. And people are like, how could you not feel smart? You're like, 
you don't understand when you have certain experiences and you get certain messages and your friends are all performing at this level and people are always saying like, God, you got this and this and this, but we don't understand why this and this and this happens. And you have so much potential. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff at play that mm-hmm. just weighs on you. And then to know that that and that all of these other things, and I, I want to I'll go back to what I said at the beginning, these other things being um, emotional intelligence, empathy, problem solving, self-regulation, stress management, and communication, that those things really, really matter and can define who you are and and build your sense of identity is so critical for our kids to know they are so much more than a grade and an IQ score. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, uh, Diana, like the, uh, yeah, yes. amen. Yeah. that's, yeah, that's yeah. really, yes. And I think it's, um, and it is so liberating to mm-hmm. think that there is value to these things that you might kind of know about yourself, but think like, man, eh, whatever, that's like a, that's yeah. just a little, a, it's like a bonus yeah. kind of thing. It's not anything that's like central to yeah, yeah. one's being. It's, um, yeah, I think that yeah. it's, it's uh, and, and I, I think I'm as a corrector, you know, that is very much part of my mission too, is just really reinforcing to parents and kids mm-hmm. like that these are these are deeply valuable skills and these are the skills we are social creatures. These are skills that actually are what allow us to function. You can learn, most people can learn and gain knowledge and things like that. But this is like this is this is the foundation of what yes. is essential for yes. a, a yes. functioning. So um, and if you could call my mother and just tell her that, that you think we'll, smart, we'll, that would be great. Yeah, we'll, I, will, I will definitely sit Thank down you. with her Thank and you. let her know. Thank you. Okay. When worry works, how to harness your parenting stress and guide your teen to success. Who does not want all of that? Tell everyone where they can get it and, and, and have your voice in their head and with them anytime they pick up the book. <laughs> which I think is probably my husband's worst nightmare, like having my voice <laughs> in his head all the time. Um, so you can, this is a, this is not my forte either, but um, on my website, which is drdanadorfman.com, there, there are ways to order the book, to take the quiz, to um, see what other stuff I'm up to. And, um, and you can order the book and pre-order the book on, um, anywhere the books are sold and that is yes that's yes so everyone go to dr dana's website which i have been on it has all the information that you need get this book um it is a it is a guide it is a guide to the paradox of parenting where We have to manage our own anxiety in a world which is constantly triggering us while raising these complex human beings to be the best person they can be while we continue to grow ourselves along the way. Oh, beautifully said and encapsulated. I cannot repeat that. So I'm glad this is (laughs) recorded. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Dr. Dana, congratulations. Thank Just you. Really, really happy for you and um, your, your mission in helping us all realize these aspects of ourselves and how 
we're pulled towards this achievement um, is 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 it will it's going to change the trajectory for many families. I hope so. I hope so. And thank you so much for inviting me on and for this conversation. And I actually was thinking the whole time I was talking to you, one last Yiddish word is mensch. Like you are oh, a mensch, which is no. just like, just a, like I feel your, your heart, your soul as you, you hmm. speak and converse. And uh, so thank you. This was so enjoyable. Oh, thank and you. Lovely thank to you talk to you. Thank you. Well, we're going to do this again because I heard a second and third book uh, is, you know, oh, yeah, you, right. you kind of said that. <laughs> so we're going to, we're gonna, yeah, we're going to be doing this again for whatever reason. Yes. Thank you. Everyone. Thank you for listening. Please share this with all the people, you know, will benefit. Definitely go out and get Dr. Dana's new book. When worry works, I promise you, you will be an enhanced human being for reading it. Um, Thank you for your five-star reviews. We love having you as part of our community. Do your best to be the person you want your child to become and ask yourself the guiding question I ask myself each day. What footprint do you want to leave? This has been a Peters and Rossi production. Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan is produced by Laura Rossi. Our engineer is Phil Rossi. Theme music is Strummerman, composed and performed by ProTunes. Artwork is by Garrett Ross. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Parent Footprint Podcast and on Twitter at Dr. Dan Peters. For more information, go to exactlyrightmedia.com. Follow Parent Footprint with Dr. Dan on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show.